Hey, thanks for listening to the Bellevue Christian Church podcast. We're a church in Bellevue, Pennsylvania, where ordinary people are learning to live everyday life like Jesus. We believe that one way to learn that life is by engaging with an ancient but active collection of books called the Bible every single week. If this teaching leaves you with a question about the content or a story of what God is doing in your life, please send a message to hello at bellevuechristian.church because we'd love to hear from you. Well, good morning. Happy Easter. It's kind of, as you can tell, it's kind of crazy around here. It's been crazy around here all week, especially that the week began with April 15th. And I know last Monday was April 15th, and did everybody get a chance to file on time this year, right? And everybody's getting a refund, correct, right? It's kind of a strange year for taxes because really nobody knows what to expect. You know, it's the people that are expecting a kind of a fat refund check and having to pay. And again, the, norm, the ones who basically never get it, normally pay, is, are getting the check. And so it's a lot of uncertainty, again, revolving around the, this idea of taxes. But although the taxes are basically uncertain, whether you're going to pay or when you're going to owe, one thing that is for certain is that every April 15, the tax man is going to show up. In fact, I think it was Ben Franklin who said, the only certainties in life are death and taxes. Now, I would qualify to say that, you know, they're both certainties, but I know that even though the IRS or the, the tax man might give you a little bit of break on taxes, we know that really the angel death doesn't give any break. We know that right now death is running at a, at a rate of about 100% mortality with no indication that is on the, it is on the decline. But again, the good news that we come to celebrate today, the good news of Jesus Christ, that although death is certain, there's even a greater certainty of the resurrection. That just as Christ was raised from the grave, that believers in Christ will also someday be raised from the grave. And that's something that we've been talking about, actually, for the past five years, uh, five years, five weeks, and we've been talking a lot about this idea of resurrection. In fact, if you've been here with us for a while, you know, we've been going through a series called What Happens When We Die? What Happens When We Die? Questions about death, resurrection, and everything in between. Now, if you've been part of this series and you like, you missed one or two, we do have it online. We have it on our, our um, we have a podcast, actually, that you can listen to, so I put a plug in for that. And again, if you missed the series completely, all the last six sermons, or last five and the six being this one, will be on, on, the, on that site. And so again, you can, get, you can access it at the website, or you can access through a podcast. Anyway, we've been going through the book of uh, Corinthians. In fact, we've been focusing on Paul's letter to the Corinthians, the 15th chapter in particular. Because it's in that particular chapter that we see that Paul answers a lot of questions about life and death, and really the in-between, answers all sorts of questions there. But what we find out is that throughout the series, if there's one consistency, it's that basically what happens when we die is connected to what happened when Jesus Christ died. Again, what happens when we die is connected to what happened when Jesus Christ died. Now, just as Jesus Christ died... He died on a cross. He was buried in a tomb. And the third day, he rose from the grave. We too will all, at some point, all die. But we also know that we will someday be raised and to be seated in the heavenlies with God in the kingdom, in the throne, so to speak. And so again, Paul is going through these, this book, especially the 15th chapter, and he's answering all these particular questions about the resurrection and death, one by one, one by one. But he gets to the, kind of the end of the 15th chapter, and it's kind of like he sets the questions aside. 
He's basically done asking questions. In fact, you kind of see him kind of going kind of a mental uh, victory dance, so to speak, kind of a, and, and even kind of an in-your-face mockery to death itself. You know, we read in 15 where it says, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. And I love how the, uh, the message says it, where he writes in the paraphrase, it says, death swallowed up by triumphant life. Who got the last word, O death? O death, who's afraid of you now? And another way we could put it, anybody familiar with Rocky, Rocky Three? Who did Rocky Three? Who did Rocky fight in Rocky Three? Clubber Lang. Clubber Lang. You know, I kind of picture, you know, this is how if he was, if Rocky was not talking to Clubber Lang, but instead he was addressing death, he might say it something like this: "Death, you ain't so bad. You ain't so bad. You ain't nothing." <laughs> That's my Rocky impersonation. That's the best you get. Anyway, Paul was very certain of death. He was, you know, he knew about death, but he was also more certain about the resurrection from the dead. Unfortunately, we live in a world today that people, you know, they don't really know about the resurrection. They, they, they don't embrace the resurrection. Unfortunately, it includes not only non-believers, but also many believers. So consequently, what happens, they live in a continual state of fear and denial of death. So much so that we're beginning to see kind of a variety of ways that, that uh, uh, people are beginning to create, especially marketers, ways to kind of take the sting off of death a little bit. One of the most popular things lately is what they call uh, personalized funerals, personalized funerals. It's the idea that, you know, you can have a funeral that's custom to your particular likes, and you could even have what they would call theme-based caskets, theme-based caskets. You know, so theme-based, it would, it would basically include your favorite hobby. So if you're a hunter, I know we got some hunters out there. You can have this one up here, you know, with a little deer on that, on your, on your casket. If you're into rock music, which I know a lot of you guys are into rock music, you know, you can have it in the form of your favorite musician, like Kiss. If you like a certain beverage, I know some of you like some, some Budweiser, you can have it custom to your favorite beer. And I know we got some Steeler fans out there, right? There you go. Man, you could have a logo, you could have a black and gold coffin and everything. Very nice. You know, again, that's the kind of the trend we see. And it's, it's a way the, to really upsell the funeral business, or the, a funeral, the cost of a funeral. But really, the intention is to kind of allow the deceased, the deceased to kind of stay within an acceptable social context. You know, as a side note, I was thinking, you know, I, I, I found the Steelers cast, but I couldn't find one for the Browns. I looked and looked and looked, and then finally I realized they don't need a casket because they got a T-shirt, right? Just one before I die. That's their... <laughs> Debbie has one of those T-shirts. But yeah, so personalized, cast, personalized funerals are, are kind of the rage now. But then also what we, we also begin to see is websites that cater to the dying. They really kind of tug at your heartstrings. The one I found out there that's fairly popular, it's called Gone Not Gone. Very catchy title, Gone Not Gone. And this is very creative because what you can do before you die, you can record a series of messages, anniversary messages, birthday messages, and then you could have them programmed to be sent or by email or, or recording to your loved one for years to come. Isn't that nice? I think it's kind of morbid personally. But I thought, well, you know, I'm kind of an entrepreneur. I can capitalize on this trend. I'll create my own website called Gone But Not Forgotten, right? <laughs> For only $24.95, Chuck Gone will email you a pre-recorded sermon once a week after he dies. 
Visa and MasterCard accepted. I will take cash to line up because they're going fast, right? You know, the other thing, the other side out there is really interesting is one called Celeste. Uh, Celeste, Celeste. It's basically a, a way that you can take the ashes of a deceased relatives and you can kind of launch them up into space. Into space, you know, you can have them launch up into space and come back. You could have them launch up into space and orbit around the Earth. You could have them launch into space and land on the moon. You could have them launch into space and continue to voyage into deep, deep space. The idea is you do that, and every night you can sit out and have a beverage and watch, look up at the night sky and see kind of Uncle Harry kind of revolving around the Earth, you know? And that's also for $24.95, but that's $2,495, a little bit more expensive. And I read from exactly from their website. It says, there are four destinations available starting at $2,495 with flexible payment plans. Let us guide you in choosing a destination in space where you can look into the sky each night and feel the honor and respect you have paid to your loved ones. Feel the honor and respect that you've paid to your loved ones. $24.95, aren't they worth it? Come on. Anyway, so we're seeing this type of stuff. We're seeing technology. We're seeing themed funerals. And we're also seeing kind of a reduction in uh, the way we, or a change in the way we use terminology about death. Again, because we're trying to take the sting away from death. And so a lot of places don't say death. They don't say the person died anymore. They'll say he or she passed away or he or she is no longer with us. In fact, there's some towns that basically have, base, have, have gotten rid of all signs, truly, that say dead end, and they've replaced it with no outlet type signs. And so, and also, I, hospitals are changing the way. They don't use the word death that much. I remember when I was working as, a, as an intern at the Cleveland Clinic in Cleveland, Ohio, and uh, I think I said the word he died or something like that, or the phrase he died, and somebody says, you don't say it around here, you don't say the person died, you say that they expired expired. And I thought that was kind of very impersonal because to me it, it kind of had the, the same sort of sense. It's kind of on par with a, you know, an Amazon gift card. It went unused. That's basically what I was thinking. That was supposed to be funny, but that went kind of well flat. <laughs> Done with the jokes because, again, we know death is a serious business, right? And we know that, though, that people have tried to weaken the sting. And, and, and consequently, what has happened is death has become very institutionalized. You know, one time there were deaths or, uh, or funerals would actually occur at a home. A home, and now obviously they take place in, in usually in a hospital setting or in a nursing home or possibly a hospice setting. And this, what this does is kind of prevent the, the family and friends from really spending too much time with the deceased, which is kind of a shame. So you have a, you have a dying person behind, you know, a curtain and limited access to visitors and then usually what happens after about an hour, after somebody passes, what happens is, you know, that person is, the deceased is kind of taken away, quickly taken away, and another patient is brought in. And again, that's a very kind of an impersonal thing, but it, it doesn't allow for time for, even for sometimes the, uh, the, the, the grieve to grieve, so to speak. And so one person that kind of puts us in, in good words is a person by the name of, of um, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross who writes, when a person dies in a hospital, he or she is quickly whisked away. A magical disappearing act does away with the evidence before it could upset anyone. And that's really kind of what's happening. I think because hospitals, a lot, a lot of times, they don't want to admit you know, that there might be a failure on their part. Because again, their mandate is to preserve life. So they just as soon kind of move the person right along. So this is all added to the impersonalization 
really a, a funeral and really the desensitization of, of really death, so to speak. And this is, only a, this is a more recent thing because up until the 19th century, they would have, again, they would have funerals that would take place at homes and it would be kind of a whole community-oriented event. So you wouldn't just have the pastor and the clergy there. You would have the family and you would have an entire community often gathered around the, the person as, as, that was dying. And so the, in some cases, you'd have the dying person laying there and he, would, he or she would bless the children, you know, putting affairs back in order, maybe ask forgiveness for somebody uh, that he might have offended, and then really just commend himself up to God and then pretty much pass away. But we wouldn't we didn't have the patience for that in this day and age. We wouldn't have patience for such a particular ritual. Again, but these things are, are things that, uh, the modern things are the things that we've, we've invented to be able to reduce the sting of death. It really basically re- reduced the, the, the reality of death or the sting of death. And we can't do that. Those things kind of fail miserably because, again, death is real and death does sting. You know, I pulled some statistics off the internet. 2017, 7,452 persons die every day, approximately every 12 seconds. 1.25 million people die in road crashes, 3,425 per day, 39,773 gun deaths per year. And I read that that includes, uh, it's two-thirds of that number is suicides, and another 20 per day is veteran suicide. And then 600,000 people per year die of cancer, and 250 people per year die while taking selfies. This is true. I mean, you've seen some of it on the news lately where somebody's taking a selfie in the Grand Canyon and falls off or something like that. And that is a real danger, even today, that we didn't have before. And so the reality is we are surrounded by death. And that we can't do anything to really lessen the sting. We can't, it's not by way of themed caskets, personalized funerals. It doesn't come by way by technology or even change the terminology because again, the reality is that death is real and that death stings. It stings. It stings, again, it especially stings for people when, when death comes knocking at your door. When death comes knocking at your door, I mean, for the most part, I think most of us are kind of numb to all the death we see in the news and that sort of thing. But you know, and all of you, many of you have experienced that, when death comes knocking on your, your door, it's a real wake-up call, isn't it? It's a wake-up call, again, to the reality of death. I think C.S. Lewis said uh, death is a megaphone for the lost and dying world. And so some of you have lost spouses, a husband, a wife, a, a, you've lost a child, you've lost a grandchild, you've lost a, you know, a, a grandparent, an aunt, you've lost these people, and you've experienced the sting of death. And you know that sting is not a temporary thing at least for you. You know, so what happens? You leave the funeral home, you leave the cemetery, everybody else goes off in their merry way in the busyness of life, and you're stuck there dealing with death, dealing with the grief. And sometimes that grief can go on for, for days, weeks, and sometimes even years. And it's just very frustrating because you say, man, everybody else is kind of moving on with their life, but I am stuck. I, I, you know, what's going on here? I don't, I don't understand it. But the reality is for some people that grief is very long and very painful. I may be dating myself here, but uh, uh, some of you remember from the 90s, I think it was, is a show called Touched by an Angel. And uh, it was Roma Downey and uh, Della Reese starred in it as angels. And uh, Monica, I think it was Roma Downey. Anyway, I don't remember a lot of the episodes, but one in particular sticks to my mind is that Rome, uh, uh, Monica was sitting there with a, a person who had just lost two children. 
and he was in his major grief. And she was trying to comfort him with the reality of the resurrection, but at the same time, also let him know that she understood about grief. She wasn't going to minimize grief. And so she, she uses the line that I never forget. She says, death came on Friday and life on Saturday with a long, very hard Saturday in between. Death came on Friday and life on Saturday with a long, very hard Saturday in between. See, we, you know, we're around here, we like celebrating or at least participating in Good Friday. You know, we have a good crowd here for Sunday, but what about Saturday? What were the disciples dealing with on that Saturday between, between crucifixion and resurrection? They were dealing with all sorts of questions, all sorts of questions about God, about what's going on. You know, I don't understand. I don't understand. He was the Messiah. He was supposed to redeem us and everything else. What is going on here? And it's the same type of questions that some of you have dealt with. And I've dealt with personally. You know, when my wife passed away in 2001, a lot of, you know, this happened a month before I was going to start seminary. A lot of questions kind of came to mind. God, what's going on here? What's up with that? And I know a lot of you have had the same type of questions in that long Saturday of grief. Now, about this time, some of you are thinking, you know, okay, enough about death, Chuck. It's time to go home and eat some ham and deviled eggs, right? Almost done. But again, my, my aim is not to depress you. It's really not. But again, this is Resurrection Sunday. And sometimes you can't really understand the value of Resurrection Sunday unless you understand the pain of Good Friday and Good Saturday, or Friday and Saturday. You cannot understand, you cannot appreciate the value of Resurrection Sunday unless you understand the certainty of death. The very real thing, that, something again that we can't simply hide by, by new products and new terminology. The only way that we can remove that sting of death is by Jesus Christ. By Jesus Christ. Again, Paul's words goes like this. It says, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, if we pull this apart, we can see that the sting of death is associated with sin. So basically, you want to remove the sting of death, you've got to kind of get rid of sin. And in order to get rid of the power of sin, you've got to get away from the, from the guilt associated with the law. Now, a little bit of you know, background on this. You know, some of you know, sin is basically a willful violation against God, against God's commandments. That's what it is. It's a violation of God's law. That's collectively what we call the Old Testament, New Torah, the first five books of the Bible, and all the other laws that, you do, that the Jews made around it. So that's what Paul's talking about, the law. And so just as there are Jewish laws, we know today that there's other laws that we have to deal with. Obviously, you know, we have to deal with traffic laws and, and different types of laws that come around. And, and, and all these laws, you know, they, they, if you violate a law, if you break a particular law, they have a name associated. It could be, again, a crime, a violation, an offense. Christians have a name for the offense against God, and it's called sin. And I know sin is not a popular word to use nowadays because it's a churchy-sounding word. But really... Sin is very a cultural relevant, culturally relevant word in its day because really all it was was referring to an archery term. The idea is that someone, an archer, would pull back the bow and shoot the arrow and it would miss and that would be called a sin. And so the idea of sin is that you've missed the mark, particularly you've missed the mark with God. You know, you went to the, life the, went to the right or to the left. And I think that's a fair definition, but really it doesn't get to the heart of things. Because really, you know, it kind of, it's very easy to minimize that. It's like, okay, I tried to be a good person. I missed, but it's okay. You know, I just missed the mark a little bit. You know, in fact, if you were to ask some people, you know, do they sin? They'd say, you know what? 
God and I, we're good. You know, I, I haven't violated any of the commandments. The last I've looked, I haven't, I haven't killed anybody. I haven't uh, cheated on my spouse or anything like that. You know, but, but that's, that's, again, how they view it. It's from the outward things, the outward appearance. At the same time, we know when Jesus came on the scene, he kind of expanded the idea of the law, expanded the idea of the law to include things like hatred and lust, so much so that if he would say that if you had hatred in your heart towards another person, that was equivalent of murder. Or if you had lust in your heart towards a, another person, a man or woman, that would be considered adultery. And so he was doing this because the Pharisees at the time, and even people today, you know, they kind of pat themselves on the back and say, you know, we, didn't, we keep the Ten Commandments. We're, uh, God and I, we're, we're doing okay. And he's saying, no, sorry. You know, where man looks at the outward appearance, where man looks at the outward actions, we know that God looks at the heart. And if you were to look in the heart of any human being, you know, you're going to see some stuff in there that you don't like. In fact, I've heard it said before, someone told me, he says, you know, if we could see into the heart of the person sitting next to us, we might be so offended we get up and leave the room. And that's funny, but it's true. Again, God sees the heart. Man goes by the outward appearance, but God sees the heart. And so just as there's penalties associated, again, with breaking of the laws of the, of the world, of the city or whatever, you know, where we, we commit a crime, we, 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 we cheat on our taxes or whatever, or we uh, run a speed, uh, pass a speed limit sign or whatever, or we commit some sort of crime. There are penalties associated with that, but there's a lot stronger penalties associated with breaking God's law. In fact, there's both a, what we call both a spiritual death and a physical death. A lot of penalties associated with that. And so when you think about a spiritual death, you know, spiritual death is probably worse than a physical death because the spiritual death means we've disconnected. We've been totally disconnected from God. And ever since the beginning of time, man and woman have been designed to stay connected to his creator, his or her creator. That connection was supposed to be ongoing. If you remember the story in the garden about Adam and Eve, it said they walked in the garden with communion with God. They walked with God. It was spoke of the communion that man and woman originally had with God, and it's the communion we are supposed to have with today. And sin somehow creates a disconnect in that communion. There's a theologian by G.B. Card who says it this way. He says, sin separates the human race from God, and death is the final severance. The horror of death is not to die, but to die in your sins. Sin and death together are the negation of all that human beings in their heart of hearts know themselves to be. And under this double tyranny, they live in anxiety, fear, and despair. Again, it describes the disconnect between us and God. It's an awful place to be. And I think people, even non-believers, know in their heart of hearts that this is not a good thing. It's very painful because we are designed to have that communion with our Creator. And so what do people do? You know, they try to say, well, if I just do a bunch of good works, if I just you know, make sure I, I'm nice to people, I pay my taxes, I pay my tithe, I give to the church, I go to church, you know, all those type of things, you know, if I do those things, you know, God will be okay. You know, sorry, you know, God didn't leave that as an option. He didn't because we cannot do it. We continually fall short of our ability to have that communion with God because we are unholy and he is a holy God. And but what we couldn't do, that's the good news, what we couldn't do, God did for us through Jesus Christ. God did for us. Again, he, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, and what he did, it says that the word Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. And what we see from this particular verse is that there's a connection 
between Christmas and Easter. That what we see here is again at the Christmas time when the Word became flesh, flesh and blood in the form of baby Jesus. And then that Word again grew up to begin to make its dwelling, his dwelling amongst us. You know, he went through the, town, the towns, he spent three years here administering to people, raising the, uh, the, the sick and the dead and, and performing miracles and, and talking about God's love and talking about the kingdom to come and the availability of that kingdom right now. But you also know that what God did, he, or what Jesus did, he also was willingly took the sins of us, of us on him. But he didn't have to do that, but he went to the cross. He allowed himself to be nailed up to a cross for our sake and for our salvation. To again, take the, take the sins of the world on us. It was, a, it was a pure act of love. And it says God proves his love for us that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. That's what was happening there. That was, that was going on there. Again, while we were sinners, that Christ died with us. And so anyway, we, you know, we, we, we try to figure out, well, how do we, how do, we do this? How, do we, how can we get connected to God? And again, we, can we do these works? Can we be good people and that sort of things? And the reality is we can't. It's all a gift of God. It's what they call by grace. In fact, the Apostle Paul writes, for it's by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast. In other words, you cannot do anything to earn your salvation. All you can do is receive the good, the gift of God that comes by way of Jesus Christ. And you say, well, what does that look like? Well, what it looks like is what you saw earlier in the baptism. Because what was going on in baptism is, again, what you have is a, a confession of the heart, the confession of faith that I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and I've accepted him as our Lord and my Savior. And the baptism is a symbolic of that acceptance and, again, that identity with Christ. As Christ died, you died with Christ. As Christ was raised, you were raised with him. It is what we call the born-again experience, the new birth experience. In fact, as a side note, you know, in the old days, it was so closely associated with, with birth that, you know, the, actually the baptistry was kind of a shape of an actual womb. And what we had also, we had people being baptized in the nude. And today we give t-shirts because we don't want to offend anybody, right? Joke. <laughs> Lighten up. <laughs> but again, that's a, that was going on because it was so symbolic of the new birth that you experience in Jesus Christ. And that was going on. Again, that's what we see in this whole idea of baptism. And so, again, as we begin to wind this down, we begin to think that this is, this is really what we're talking about. We're talking about accepting Jesus. We're talking about, about dying to self and living with Christ in the new birth and experiencing it. And experience it in a way, again, that we've never experienced before. It is a, it is a way that we experience both the, the death of ourselves, the spirit, but we also receive, again, the new life given us to, in, in Jesus Christ. And so in order to do that, unfortunately, we still have, we have to die spiritually, but we also have to die physically. And some people are thinking, you know, I'd rather not die physically. Can't I just bypass that? And we can't. Unfortunately, we can't because we know that our bodies have been corrupted. Not only has our spirits been corrupted, but our bodies have been corrupted. And so our bodies are prone to sin. So in order to have that new life in Christ, we have to also die again that we might be able to live with Christ. And that's a good thing. It's an exciting thing. And so we see what, what, what Jesus says here. He says, I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. 
nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. So we have to go through that spiritual death, and we have to go through that physical death. And again, as we do that, we know that we will die, but we also know that one day we will wake up in the presence of God. That we won't know death anymore. That again, we have nothing but eternity out there before us. And again, we know that although we die, we know that again, that we will live forever in Jesus Christ. And so, you know, he describes this best in Revelation of the Gospel of John. He described what's going on when we're going to see no more death. He says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or no more mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things have passed away. That's what we can look forward to again as you receive Jesus Christ as Lord. But anyway, in close, and I was thinking about, uh, some of you know that uh, April 15th was tax day, but it was also the day that there was this terrible fire that occurred over in, uh, in France, right? In the Cathedral of Notre Dame. It, it was a very terrible fire. And, but in the midst of that fire, what we found out is that there were people that did some very heroic things. And what they, so many people did, apparently they went into the theater or into the cathedral because they knew there were some holy relics there. They knew there was supposedly a, a piece of the cross. There was also a, a, a nail from the cross and I think a piece, or if not the whole crown of thorns of Jesus. And so they formed a human chain to kind of go into there and to, and to get those things out. And you ask yourself, why? You know, why would, you, why would it matter? Because... France is one of the most unchurched countries now in the world. But for some reason, they saw the, the significance of, of saving, again, those few relics from the past. You know, I like the way how this uh, person says it. This Anne, there's a picture, I'm sorry, of the fire. As you didn't see it in the news. But I like the way how Anne Voskamp says it. She says, we are still actually willing to brave fire, risk life and limb, to link arms with our fellow human beings, to hold on to a bit of the holy and be linked to Christ himself. Even a secular city streets filled with hipsters and millennials and mamas and a weary old men and all these bystanders couldn't just stand by. A secular world still seeks the sacred. A secular world still seeks the sacred. And again, that's a, I think more than that, they're seeking a hope, a hope that is not available anywhere else through Jesus Christ. The hope that says, you know what, I'm a sinner, but, you know, thank be to God, you know, I'm a, I can be saved through the precious, precious blood of Jesus Christ. And hope that not only I, I live today that I have this life to look forward, but hope for the eternal life spent with Jesus Christ and God. Let us pray. God in heaven, Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your word. Again, it's a, a tough word. It's an end of a series, Lord, but it's, a, again, a series that is very... Uh, Hopefully, as rang true with so many people, even today, Lord, again, we know that death is just around the corner. We cannot deny it. It's facing us every single day, but as Christians or people that want to, want to know Christ, we know that is made available, that eternal life has been made available through Jesus Christ. And so if there's people here today that don't know you, Lord, I pray that during this time that we come together for communion, that if, this is an opera, if, there's, if they're feeling that kind of that tug in their heart to, to know you, to have that assurance of eternal life, Lord, I pray that they would talk to one of our prayer partners today, Lord Jesus. And again, they would not allow themselves to go through another Easter, really even another day, 
without that assurance of eternal life that comes through you. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If that teaching moved you or left you with questions, let us know by sending a message to hello at bellevuechristian.church. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast for a new teaching from us every single week.